It's New Hampshire Headlines in WKXL. I'm your host, AJ Kierstead. Be sure to check out nhtalkradio.com to get more from the show. So it's all the other great programming, which is rapidly expanding over at WKXL, including Kale and Company, Your Health New Hampshire, uh, Artful Living, and trust me, the next few weeks, there's going to be many more shows added to the lineup. Excited to be joined this week by reporter Hadley Barndollar over at the New Hampshire Bulletin, newhampshirebulletin.com to get more from them. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Got a special co-host this week, Dexter Tarbox, who is a contributor over at theneweenglandtake.com, which is my other alter ego. And he is also a contributor for various other sites, including uh, NH Journal, which I reference all the time on the show. And what, who else do you write for occasionally? Uh, Granite Grok, a little bit louder.news as well, which is more of a sort of national um, public interest. Uh, but great to be joining you here. All right, so we're still going to be talking about New Hampshire Bulletin's articles over here this week. So start off with Governor Christian Nunu saying he won't run for president in 2024. This has been long awaited to have some form of answer on this. He's made countless cable TV appearances over the last few months, which kind of hinted at an exploratory consideration of what he's going to be doing. But uh, the whole team at the Bulletin covered this. So why don't you jump into it, Hadley? Yeah, sure. So obviously um, you kind of had to have been living under a rock in New Hampshire if you didn't know that for many, many months, um, Governor Chris Sununu had been teasing a presidential run and most recently had said he was going to make a public decision in June. So um, that came out uh, this week and he announced he will not be seeking the 2024 nomination. And in a really robust um, opinion piece that he wrote for the Washington Post, um, basically said that he could better serve the purpose of uh, electing a good Republican president um, by not being a nominee. Um, and he he narrowed in that commentary specifically on Trump, um, everything that it, it will take to beat former president um, Donald Trump in that race, and that he feels he would be better positioned serving as New Hampshire's governor, um, the first of the nation primary state, um, to help the Republican Party um, accomplish that task. So, Dexter, I mean, the, something that immediately stood out to me about this is he chose the Washington Post to be the outlet he decided to make this announcement, which was pretty shocking, especially consider DeSantis was was big on doing it with his Twitter spaces that he was going to be announcing for president. Uh, Trump has been all about his truth social platform. And then Sununu, a kind of middle of the road Republican, generally speaking, decided to go with a in right wing circles, I'd say notoriously left wing outlet with The Washington Post. Well, you know, it, it doesn't entirely surprise me, given what a high priority he put on defeating Trump. I think he described it as the number one priority for the um, New Hampshire primary uh, and the election in general. What I think is interesting about Sununu taking that position, Osborne as well as the, um, as the uh, leader of the House Conservatives in New Hampshire, is that they took that same position during the primary, uh, i.e. not, not uh, allowing Trump endorsed candidates to win, and they failed in both cases in the primary. So I'm wondering what he thinks he's going to do differently in this presidential primary that, that he couldn't achieve then. Hadley, I mean, what what is the path forward, do we think, over with Sununu here in the stakes? Obviously, he's not going to be at least Maybe we'll see when we get further into the primary cycle if he starts gunning for a cabinet or VP position or something of that sort. Because he has mentioned in the past he's all about the executive branch. He has no interest in being in the legis in the uh, in Congress, uh, which is totally understandable. It's a totally different can of worms uh, from an operational perspective. I mean, what what's he saying he wants to do in the state? 
so he obviously has not announced whether or not he'll seek another term as governor. Um, and and if he did, and and if he was successfully uh, reelected, he would be the longest serving governor um, in New Hampshire history. Um, the race has already begun. Um, Executive Councilor uh, Cindy Warmington, a Democrat, um, was either last week or the week before she um, declared her candidacy for New Hampshire governor. And the Manchester Mayor Joyce Craig has formed an exploratory committee um, to see whether she'll be stepping into the race as well. Um, so some things happening on the Democratic side. Um, I, I don't believe we've seen any Republicans um, declare other candidacy yet. Um, but it'll be really interesting to see if, if Sununu is among them and what his um, continuous ambitions will be. It seems like there's been some rumblings, though, that Kelly Ayotte may be doing something because there's a fair bit of cash floating around that I, I think Damian Fisher wrote about it at In-Depth New Hampshire, uh, another outlet that I highly support here for New Hampshire news. Um, I, I mean, Dexter, I mean, I, would it be just su suicidal politically for, for another Republican to try and go against a, a Sununu going for a fifth term? No, you know, Kelly Ayotte does have name recognition in New Hampshire, even though her term in Congress was short. And speaking to the reporting that you just mentioned, it sounds like upwards of $400,000 have already been raised for her campaign, which in a state of this size is not insignificant. Uh, as you also mentioned, she is so far the only likely Republican challenger. So this is not a, a heavily saturated field. I think she might have a serious chance, especially with the amount of um, um, discontentment that Sununu might stir among certain elements of the Republican Party by his hardcore anti-Trump uh, line. Uh, as, as you mentioned as well, he, he announced uh, that he will not be running in the Washington Post. This is someone who is certainly not a, a mainstream MAGA conservative. Uh, uh, and there is a good chance that he could alienate part of that base. Uh, and again, with her name recognition, um, it's not a quixotic campaign for Ayotte if she gets into it. I don't, yeah. I'd also love to add to that, too, that, um, yeah. you know, to point out for people who haven't necessarily been, you know, following this for, for several years, tr Trump, uh, Sununu's anti-Trump stance is, is relatively new, you know, over the last few years. He was quoted in 2019 saying he was a Trump guy through and through. Um, and, and most recently, he kind of diverged paths um, over the last year or two. And I believe at... Um, Trump's uh, rally in Manchester um, with over the last couple of months, Trump was quoted saying, um, you know, Chris Sununu is a nasty guy. Um, so they have they have um, more recently uh, diverged paths. And, and it wasn't always that way. Yeah, it, it, this all brings to just especially with Ayotte, just, just Ayotte just flamed out running for for Senate. Against Hassan, part I think a good part of it's because of the 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 debates right before it, where WKXL's own at the time, Chris Ryan said, "Would you consider uh, Trump to be a role model for for your children?" Which she kind of ah yeah yeah never answered the question all the way, which just ended up helping Hassan, who ultimately sitting quietly over at the Senate, like almost no one really hears from her her publicly for the most part until she, she votes on something or makes some random announcement with another one of our federal delegation. I mean, it's Trump is a problem, it seems like, for the mainstream Republicans. Anything on that, Dexter? Well, you, you know, I think we just spoke about this on the other show. Uh, 
I don't consider Trump necessarily to be as much of a problem as many do when we're talking about national electoral politics, because it is going to come down to a few states, and frankly, the popular vote might not be the deciding vote once again when it when it comes to the national election. In terms of his endorsements, you're right, there may be a little bit more toxicity there. Um, but, but I covered it for New Hampshire Journal and a few other um, um, outlets during the last primary, where there was a lot of manipulation, a lot of big dollars coming into the Democrat Party, a lot of out-of-state support on the ground even, coming in to support candidates like Hassan and Custer for re-election, um, that, that did a lot to skew the message. So when we look at abortion, which was so fundamentally important in the last primary election, uh, um, when we look at Trump's position, it's actually a lot more moderate than it was portrayed in, in the media and in the campaign ads of the time, which was tied to candidates like uh, like Caroline Levitt, for instance, uh, whereas he really does support a state-by-state -state solution post-Roe. Um, we were constantly being told that, that the Republicans who, who were endorsed by Trump supported a nationwide ban, and that was a false narrative. So again, the, the level at which these false narratives can be spread in the next election also affects the, the supposed toxicity of Trump, uh, um, because indeed a lot of the, the toxic effects that we attribute to him were, were based on false, uh, false statements. Well, I guess we'll be waiting to see, because guess what? Tr Trump is definitely be filling the media narrative for the next uh, year and a half, most likely, whether he gets the, uh, the Republican nomination or not, in my opinion. So, all right, let's move on here to uh, another article by Hadley Barndollar at NewHampshireBulletin.com. NH Moms, children among participants in study linking PFAS exposure to obesity risks. So PFAS has been something that's been talked about a lot the last couple of years. Uh, to start off with, can you describe uh, what PFAS is in and how it's entered our, our environment here in New Hampshire. Sure. So um, PFAS has gained a lot of attention in recent years nationwide and, and very much so in New Hampshire, um, a class of forever chemicals um, that are now being linked to um, all sorts of um, hormonal and reproductive health issues, um, cancers in humans, um, and more research being done on what that means for, for wildlife and the environment. Um, and New Hampshire is kind of the site of one of the largest um, PFAS contaminations in the nation, which is um, which has been attributed by the state to the St. Cobain um, Plastics Manufacturing Company um, in Merrimack, New Hampshire. Um, so there are five towns in that um, surrounding area that have um, been most impacted by um, this contamination in terms of private, private wells uh, drinking water. So um, lots of emerging science coming out about this, and there was a National Institute um, Institutes of Health study that was just published yesterday and featured um, research out of a cohort led by Dartmouth University, researchers at Dartmouth. Um, using data from the last 20 years following a cohort of moms and children. Um, and this national study included eight of these cohorts from all over the country. So the New Hampshire cohort was one of several. Um, and the study slight, li linked slightly higher um, BMI, body mass index, and risk of obesity um, to PFAS levels in the mother's blood during pregnancy. Um, so th this is kind of in line with a lot of the emergent, a lot of the emerging science that we're seeing um, in terms of these chemicals um, being able to be passed from um, mother to child. Um, and I think it was very interesting to see New Hampshire being being part of that study. Yeah, that's super interesting. I mean, I mean, the big thing that probably compounds the issue and um, 
I, I obviously do not know enough to really question the results that much because I am not smart enough to go over NIH numbers. I'm more than happy to preface what I'm about to say by that. Uh, definitely check out the article, which has links to all the, uh, the study information there. But another issue that probably compounds all that is uh, it, you're more likely to be in, con in contaminated spots be, in addition to having living in poverty or lower income levels if you're in these situations. Because guess what? They're not building huge expensive housing developments in areas that have been infected by toxic chemicals. And you add in poverty on top of that, the health, negative health income outcomes that come with that alongside just dietary issues that come with people with lower incomes. They're less likely to be accessing the food that is maybe of higher quality or nutritional value that people who um, make more income would have. So it's just this huge compounded problem for families in these situations. And researchers are also finding increasingly, you know, in rural areas where there is not like municipal water supply, people are on private wells. Well, private wells are not regulated. Um, so, you know, if people are testing their own well water, um, you know, who knows what, what's in it? So a, a lot of these, I think specifically part of this Dartmouth cohort of, of women and children, which is in the Upper Valley area and Southern Vermont, um, the majority of them are on um, private, private wells. Um, so that is a connecting factor. Yeah, yeah, it's a big issue with rural rural America. Also, there is you're so far away from any public reservoir. So even if you do have can hit contaminated water, what are you going to do? I mean, you you're going to have it go in from tens of miles away. It's like that's not feasible. It's so expensive to put water infrastructure anywhere. Dexter, you got any comments on any of this? Well, yeah, you know, I, I certainly think with a lot of these forever chemicals, we need to seriously restrict industry's use of them and take whatever means we can to remediate their presence in the environment, which unfortunately might not be much. I'm wondering, Hadley, are you aware of any sort of reasonable policy proposals that are out right now to address this issue? Well, what's really interesting is, I believe it was last month or the month before, the EPA released their national proposed new PFAS standards, um, which uh, I think really shocked a lot of states in a good way in some sense, and that they are were mm. very low, you know, like the EPA was taking a very hard stance, but also scared a lot of states because... Um, they were so low, and that that it, it would it will take a significant amount of money for take for states to um, invest in you know seeing levels go down that far. Um, so I think there's a lot in terms of around the EPA's proposal, which is pending. You know, has not been finalized yet. States are definitely keeping their eye on on what it would take to um, you know accommodate that. All right, last five minutes here. I want to move over to one other environmental based subject that you wrote about uh, that was released today. Actually, we're recording Thursday, June 8th. Uh, veto worries looming. New Hampshire House nixes changes the last remaining landfill sitting bill. So today, the House and the Senate have finally passed their budget, so which is very great because we can finally move past this nonsense finally after months and months. I mean, this was originally brought up in January. <laughs> and said, so, oh, we're close. We're going to get this sorted out real fast. Meanwhile, let's talk about the last minute. I think July 1st is the new budget year for basically everyone in the state. Um, I mean, what's the status when it comes to landfill funding here? So um, while we did have, you know, this today this kind of historic thing in modern history where we will not be having, you know, a committee of conference for the first time in a couple of decades. There are still, you know, some outlying bills that, that are going to, you know, be going back and forth um, 
outside of the budget. And one of those is is the last remaining landfill siting bill in the state. And, and people might be aware that we kind of started this legislative session with several different um, conflicting um, efforts, all kind of related um, to make new rules for siting landfills in the state. And a lot of this um, comes out of the proposal by um, Casella to build a new landfill in the North Country um, around Forest Lake. Um, with that, that proposal is currently on hold, but I think it really um, started this statewide eruption um, of conversation around solid waste, landfills, you know, the future of how New Hampshire is going to be um, handling its waste, handling out-of-state waste, all the things of that nature. So this yeah. bill that, that came up in the House today um, was Senate Bill 61, and it was by far not the preferred approach that environmental advocates had hoped for, um, in that there were some other landfill siting bills that were much stricter and were going to be putting you know different requirements in place immediately. Um, Senate Bill 61 um, makes DES hire an outside third-party consultant to um, create a report on what future rulemaking might be around landfills um, and puts a two-year abeyance on new landfill approvals. Um, so while there, you know, folks are saying we need this abeyance, you know, this gets some things in motion, it is definitely not what environmental advocates were hoping. Bureaucracy, let's go for bureaucracy for not a win, but kind of a holding pattern and we see what happens basically. Well, it was really yeah. interesting because, you know, they were, there were some amendments on the floor today and people were saying, even though I support this amendment, I can't support it because I'm afraid it's going to be vetoed. You know, the, the DES, you know, told mm -hmm. House members, you know, several times that they were afraid that if any further changes were made to Senate Bill 61, um, that the governor would veto it, you know, just as he vetoed a similar landfill bill um, last year. So while House, House lawmakers, you know, were looking to make some changes today, they were concerned about getting any part of it through um, if they did so. Nervously throws it to Dexter. Well, I'm just wondering what the um, the proponents of the environmental cause, or perhaps it's not them, are hoping to achieve by committee and by review. Um, because certainly if you've worked in local government, as I have in the past as well, uh, um, with planning procedure and things like that, that almost sounds sort of like limbo. Uh, and I'm wondering, what, what what is the hope coming out of this? What what proposals can we expect to see um, that, that, would, that would achieve anything? So as of right now, from my understanding, that there is kind of a one-size-fits-all approach to landfill siting um, in the state, and, and advocates are hoping for more specific site review. You know, say, you know, here's this particular piece of land based on this piece of land. Here's how many feet the land sh landfill should be away from X body of water, Y body of water. Um, currently, I believe the setback is, is 200 feet um, universal across the state. So I think I think advocates were hoping for something that was much more site specific. And, you know, we hear so often in Concord, right, that studies are, unfortunately, people you know, feel that studies are a waste of time, kicking the can down the road. Um, so I think, you know, advocates were looking for something um, a little more meaningful and immediate. All right, we are about out of time here. Thank you so much, Hadley Barndollar, reporter over at the New Hampshire Bulletin for joining me. Thank you guys so much for having me. NewHampshireBulletin.com to get more from her. Follow them on Twitter. Hadley's on Twitter. NH Bulletin News to get their Twitter feed. And Dexter Tarbox, TheNewEnglandTake.com. Check out his other things at New Hampshire Journal, Granite Grok, and all over the place. Thanks for joining the show. Thanks, AJ.
New Hampshire headlines on WKXL. I'm your host, AJ Kirsted, nhtalkradio.com. To get more from us, f- follow the podcast feed for WKXL on your favorite podcast platforms. And be sure to also find us on YouTube. WKXL is over there, and these interviews are posted as videos over there. Talk to you next week.